that you have found your own way into your sitting meditation, beginning your meditation with whatever helps you to settle right here and right now, with an attitude of alertness and curiosity, metta, relaxation. So for some of you, this may mean a a body scan inviting relaxation, helping one to settle into the body sitting here. For others of you, you may begin your meditation with a few minutes of metta, consciously cultivating that feeling of warmth, connection, and kindness. For others of you, you may wish to connect directly with your anchor. But finding that way that helps you enter into your meditation really arrive here and now. And if we're using an anchor in our practice to remember that The goal isn't to stay with it, that it's a tool to help us gather our attention here and now when it's been scattered, a tool to help strengthen non-distractedness. But as we've mentioned a number of times, we open to all of life life manifesting each moment in this body, heart, mind. We're learning how to skillfully relate to these arisings, these manifestations of life in a way that does not lead to suffering, but rather to peace freedom. And the raw experience of this body, heart, mind is the very vehicle to this freedom. It's our teacher. One aspect of this life that sometimes is challenging is the aspect of emotions. So I want to say a few more words today about mindfulness of emotion, how to connect with emotions in a skillful way, a way that leads to freedom rather than more suffering. 
when we talk about emotions, we also include what are known as mind states, or emotions are a mind state, but we include also other mind states such as sleepiness and restlessness and doubt, concentration. We may not think of these as emotions, but in Buddhism they're all put together as mind states. Energies in the mind, heart, body. And so if we notice a mind state arises, we can turn our attention towards it. Sometimes it will go away. The moment of contact with it, noticing it, attention turning towards it, it just disappears. A wisp in the mind, another arising and passing away. But other times there's a a persistence. The emotion continues or it comes back repeatedly. And then a deeper investigation can be helpful. Labeling or noting the emotion is often a very helpful start. It's said to help move the attention or the energy from the fight-flight area of the mind to the part of the mind that can be a bit more rational. So even just labeling, oh, anger is arising. Joy is arising. Loneliness is arising. Sleepiness. Just naming it, acknowledging its presence in this heart, mind, body at this time. And a helpful way to be with mind states without getting lost in them is to see if there are physical sensations that correspond. and connecting with those sensations physically. So perhaps if it is anger, there may be a feeling of tightness in the solar plexus or heat. If it's joy, there may be a bubbly sense in in the body uplifting sense. We can also notice how it presents in the mind. We aren't particularly interested in the particular story in this kind of mindful investigation. But we may notice what kinds of thoughts arise in order to bring mindfulness and emerge from the trance. 
we'll notice that when certain emotions are present, we are entranced or hypnotized by them, and the story is compelling, and we get lost in it. So we're slowly dehypnotizing ourselves, coming out of the trance. And to just name the kinds of stories that arise can be helpful to do that. So with anger, there may be self-righteous thoughts or thoughts of revenge. With joy, we may find that there are exuberant thoughts. There's a sense of exuberance. We can notice also the texture of the mind when this mind state is present. Is it dull or alert? Contracted or spacious? Flexible or inflexible? Heavy or light? If sleepiness is present, we may notice a certain kind of dullness or fog in the mind. With joy, we may notice a certain brightness in the mind. Our aim is to connect directly with these experiences rather than to think about them. Feeling the sensations. Seeing what happens in the mind, heart. And as we do this, seeing how they change. Does the mind state go away or become stronger or shift to another mind state. And lastly, we check out the relationship with this mind state. the attitude with which it is being met. Is there a sense of equanimity, acceptance, willingness to connect with it as it is? Or is there some sense of stickiness, perhaps grasping if it's pleasant or pushing away if it's unpleasant. We can just notice the stickiness factor. So what is the emotion 
or mind state? How do we connect with it in the body, heart and mind? How does it manifest? How does it change? And what's the relationship with it? Directly, moment by moment, investigating. And when we lose interest or get scattered or find that we are repeatedly lost in the story or aversion or overwhelmed with aversion to this mind state, then it's very skillful to move away. How do we reestablish presence and connectedness? Perhaps returning to our anchor Perhaps if the mind state is very compelling, we'll need to open our eyes and reestablish presence in this hall here now. We do what we need to to emerge from the trance of this mind state, knowing that it's very helpful and wholesome to know how to do that essential to know how to do that. Investigating the mind state is equally important to knowing how to emerge from the trance when it's overwhelming us. And lastly, you don't need to go looking for emotions. Sometimes in practice there may be uh, a lot of them and at other times there may not be. Looping thoughts may be a sign that an emotion is present. You can check it out. but no need to go looking. No need for an archaeological dig. Remembering that the goal is not to get rid of or control but to develop understanding leading to peace. Enough words for this morning, settling into our direct experience of life.
in our investigation of mind states, we're trying to find a middle way between repressing mind states and getting lost in them, entranced by them. And so that middle way is meeting them with mindfulness, which allows the experience to be present and adds the clarity and wisdom to not get lost in it. We're not so interested, as I said, in the particular story of the mind state. It may arise, and there may be times and places where it is helpful to investigate a certain history related to a mind state. But with mindfulness practice and our insight practice, we're mostly interested in the nature of mind states to understand their nature in a way that... um, leads to freedom. One way we can look at this is to understand the three characteristics of reality in the reality of mind states. So to understand impermanence or nicha, to understand dukkha, stress, unsatisfactoriness, to understand anatta, not self, So with mind states, when we are present for them, we do see that they arise and they do pass away. In one of the most, I would say, stunning examples of delusion in the mind, when we're lost in a mind state, we think it's going to last forever. It's it's, um, kind of astonishing that we could believe that after years and years of noticing that mind states do arise and pass away. But, you know, whether it's a happy mind state, joy, we're in joy. Have you ever noticed there's some, like, subtle thought, some delusion that this is going to last forever. I'm going to be joyful the rest of my life. And then the same happens when fear arises. We're lost in fear, and we really think we're never in the rest of our life not going to be fearful. Always going to be fearful. So we notice in our practice that mind states arise, they pass away. And then we start to notice that the mind, our heart trying to uh, avoid unpleasant mind states and trying to hang on to pleasant ones, we start to notice that that's quite stressful and it doesn't lead to peace, that there's this agitation in the heart and mind when that is our strategy for dealing with emotions. That we'll just get rid of all the unpleasant ones and we'll just hang on to the pleasant ones. It's, it's, uh, it's very, it brings agitation to the heart and mind. And then as far as anatta goes, we start to notice that we start to notice how we take our emotions very personally And we start to notice how they're just impermanent phenomena that arises and passes away. So with that sticky quality, that means we're taking the emotions very personally. And that's what we tend to do. It's not making that bad. We're interested and curious about that. Probably none of you here are having emotions that no other humans had. There's this, <laughs> there's this experience that of being human that includes this wide variety of joys and sorrows. And we start to be able to relate to our 
emotions in that way. Oh, this is life manifesting. This is causes, conditions coming together. And we connect with them. We, we, and we even own a certain amount of responsibility that this is our responsibility to deal with these emotions that come up in this, um, this being. And yet we also start to hold them much more lightly. We start to allow, you could say, that, them to flow, to not be stuck, but to flow in kind of the, the change of life, the river of life manifesting. So are there uh, questions this morning, either about working with mind states or um, other aspects of your practice? Yes. Metta. Mm-hmm. I went into greater depth of the instruction. A friend of mine, I've been doing that for, for a long time. But I expanded. May she have ease of being. May she have ease of livelihood. May her marriage be happy. May she. And then this terrific realization came for the first time that she's having a terrible time with her life. Very painful. And her marriage seems impossible. And I've never noticed it before. Mm. And, and I'm sitting here in tears. Another man doing that before them for a long time. Harry, could I ask what the question is? The question is, am I normal? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Great. <laughs> So he's doing metta, and um, and he's doing it for a good friend, and and he's wishing her uh, ease and livelihood, wishing her ease in her marriage, and then he notices that neither of these are true, and um, a lot of sorrow came up, and then uh, I think this happened with somebody else too. I'm guessing is something similar, yeah. And he wants to know if he's normal. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, in many ways, you're describing why metta is um, so much deeper and so much more challenging than it seems to be on the surface. And um, you notice that you're wishing people well. You're wishing people safety and protection and health and, um, and peace. And then how do you do that knowing the truth that um, they're not always going to be happy, peaceful, healthy, that in this human life there's, you know, all of us get sick at times and, and uh, we have stress and difficulties in our lives, right? This is in many ways where the fourth Brahma Vihara of equanimity comes in, which needs to be actually under, um, under and supporting are mixed in with all the Brahma Viharas. And the equanimity is, uh, one way you could say it is, it's the heart and mind that's wide enough to be able to hold that and still wish well, still stay open. It's a big, it's a tall order. It's, it's uh, what tends to happen is, right, we might fall into sorrow or aversion or wishing and wanting it to be otherwise than it is. So those are, your investigation is great. We want to notice that. We want to notice how that happens. And um, we come back with metta, 
we keep coming back and orienting towards what's good. With compassion, we orient towards the suffering. So you kind of moved into compassion practice in some ways. But with metta, it can, you know, we just keep coming back to this person's goodness or um, their good qualities or what's good. But holding the truth that we can't control others' lives. That's another part of the equanimity is we can't control others' lives. That each of us have our own journey, our own destiny. And in some way, equanimity is um, trusting these folks uh, to live their lives, other folks to live their lives, to go through their journey, and to care and love them just as it's unfolding. Good luck, Harry. Yeah. <laughs> Gulp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yes. The other day I heard that the, the one that knows sleepiness is not sleepy. Mm-hmm. And I've been, um, I've been really curious about that, especially about sleepiness. And yet, uh, I'm wondering about how to practice with that. Because um, I've been trying to look or rest in the part that knows that. Mm-hmm. And then I look for it. So the question was that um, somebody <laughs> said the other day that the one who knows sleepiness is not sleepy. And she's been trying to work with that to turn towards the one who knows sleepiness but can't really find it. So should she drop that instruction? Um, it might be helpful to think of the one who knows sleepiness as awareness or mindfulness. So you could say awareness or mindfulness knows sleepiness. I think that's a, uh, maybe a more helpful orientation than the one because you're looking like, well, the one, what do you mean? Like, where is that in here? Um, and yes, mindfulness and awareness are not sleepy. <laughs> Uh, this mindfulness and awareness reflects what's happening. So you, there's a way that you can shift your attention to, you would say, the, the knowing of sleepiness. And that can be helpful. Um, if you find that that's just messing with your mind and, uh, and um, you can't figure out what that means, then, then I would let it go because it's just going to create more confusion. Just uh, uh, pay attention to the... Um, physical manifestation of sleepiness, how it manifests in the mind. But you can, um, the thing about uh, resting in awareness is it, 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 if you go towards it actively, it doesn't, it slips away, like you said, it's gone. Um, so it's more resting in the knowing. And if you think of it that way, uh, you might have a better access. Anyone else this morning? Yes. Um, so I've been working with when if pain arises in my posture and I, I feel like I've been you know, um, doing well with practicing sitting with it and want to be instructed on you know, do it, do it until you don't feel interested anymore. And, you know, that's, um, 
been working well. Um, but I also noticed that if I, whether I'm in pain or not, it's like when I come back to full presence, the same way I notice that I'm thinking, if I notice that I've slapped, that my posture's down, I automatically correct my posture. And it feels just like the physical equivalent of getting present again. It's like I'm down here. Mm -hmm. So the question is about um, perhaps how often or why we would maybe adjust our posture if we notice we're slumping or leaning. Um, is that the main question? Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's this balance in practice um, when, when th there's pain or, or slouching or just different things happening in the body that are uncomfortable. There's this balance between... Um, not moving, which helps create some stillness in the mind. When the body's still, it helps the mind to still. And moving when it's um, helpful or skillful for either alleviating pain because not, the mind isn't very still, it's all over the place with the pain, or um, because of, yeah, we've, our, we've slouched. And... Um, Sometimes if we find that we're adjusting the posture a lot, it's happening many times, sometimes it can be inter interesting to experiment with just doing it like maybe you know, a few times a sitting and see what happens. Um, yeah, and then sometimes if we get into too much, we can get into somewhat of an agenda around our posture that we want to improve it or... Um, or uh, correct it, make it better, and then again, it can be uh, helpful perhaps not to move so much and to notice if we have that agenda, because that's going to distract us from being with things as they are. So it's a project. We encourage you all to let go of projects that you came in with. Um, so the thing would be, yeah, just to see how often it happens and maybe if it's a lot to limit it to a certain number. That's in, in my early practice too, I get this leaning and all this stuff and I would just limit it. I would just maybe three times a sitting come back to upright. Now if you're, if you're slouching and you're getting more and more tired, well then it's actually skillful, yes. <laughs> Sit up, bring energy to the posture. So I guess, I, you know, there's no specific answer, but investigating for yourself what different experiments around it, what results they produce, and then also noticing any um, hidden agendas you may have that, that uh, aren't helpful. Yeah. One more question, if there's one, yes.
bit because I, I didn't, I'm numb. This is kind of a, a mm -hmm. retreat. It comes and goes. But a lot of my, I'm not feeling the emotions. But so stories would come up or activities or things that are going on in my life would come up and I would say, I must be afraid of this. Let me see what, if I can find some fear in here to pay attention to. I mean, it's completely opposite. Um, and it, it didn't feel particularly skillful, but it felt like it might be interesting investigation. So I think I might try to sit with it. Do you have any ideas about that? So your question, I believe, was if you, when you notice kind of looping thoughts or thoughts with a lot of stickiness, you ask if there's an emotion present. When, when no emotion is present by itself. Yeah. That's sometimes how emotions manifest for people, is this looping thought or thoughts that keep coming back or thoughts that are very sticky with a lot of energy. And it can be very helpful to ask if there's an emotion present. And then if there is, see what happens when you connect with that physically or even just name it. See what happens to the thoughts. It can be an interesting investigation. Uh, sometimes uh, it's not uncommon that yogis talk about feeling numb. And um, we have to make peace with that too. Numbness feels like this. And you can feel it and love it. Just love it. Give it all the kindness you can. It's the only way. Because with the numbness, if you try to kind of, you know, bring out the ice pick and <laughs> try to get through it, doesn't like it very much. Yeah. So um, it's kind of with the, the tender emotions. In some ways, numbness usually means there's actually a lot of tender emotion. <laughs> and with the tender emotions, you have to approach so gently. With the tender places, if... They feel like you are, um, you have an, uh, uh, a full-fledged frontal attack. <laughs> like, I'm going to get to this emotion and I'm going to secretly get rid of it. Um, it doesn't like it, you know. What will happen is the anxiety will increase and the thinking will increase and the mind will send up lots of smoke screens because it, there won't be a feeling of safety. So with the tender places, we have to go so um, gently and with so much love. One person in an interview said it would be like trying to coax a stray animal towards you or a wild animal towards you. If you start going towards this wild animal, it's out of there. But if you sit really quiet and just love, sometimes it will show itself. Yeah. <laughs> um, we just have one announcement this morning, and that is if you have any stray cushions that you are not using or that you've left on a mat and forgotten that you left there, um, Zafus are support cushions, if you could take them to the back because uh, we, we're experiencing a shortage. Hmm? And blankets, too. Us teachers, we did our little um, gathering here <laughs> of the extras. We'll send them back there, and um, it would be helpful if you did that, too. Yeah. Gorgeous day for practice. <laughs>